Welcome to Paint Ed. PCA provides painting contractors with connections they need to grow their business. To find out more and to become a member, visit PCAPainted.org. Find more great content like this on PCA Overdrive. A subscription to the platform is included with membership. For all of you non-members out there, sign up for a free trial. PCA Overdrive is available on the App Store and Google Play. This episode is brought to you by Nice Job, Painter Marketing Pros, and APC. Hello, everybody. Uh, I am your host for this week's episode of Contractor Radio. My name is Nathan Thibodeau, and uh, we've got some really interesting information that we're going to bring to you this week, and we're really excited to talk to you about it. Uh, it's a little bit tricky information. Many of us have heard lots of stuff around it. Uh, we want to create some uh, some high-level understanding of what is so important about data. And so I'm entitling this podcast, The Data. And so a few things that we're going to uh, try and address in this is why is data such a big deal? Why is it important to, to, to be paying attention to your data? That might seem like an obvious answer, but uh, data can be kind of tricky. And some people just, they get lost in it um, and they... And, they don't know what to do with it. Maybe they have too much and they're getting in the weeds. Other people just decide to ignore it altogether because it gets kind of complicated sometimes. So we're going to talk about what is such the big deal about data. Uh, we're told uh, from many wise people to try and make decisions based on the numbers, right? Make decisions based on the numbers. Well, what exactly does that mean and how do you do that? We're going to talk a little bit about that. Uh, and then lastly, uh, Many people, especially in the small business circle, one of the questions that, that you might have is, okay, well, how can we make decisions, analyze and make decisions according to the numbers or according to the data and kind of still keep our humanity or still keep our culture and not become uh, too cold in the black and white world of what exactly data means? So today I am going to be joined by two awesome gentlemen who've got a lot of experience and expertise in this world with Mr. Dean Curtis, um, the founder and owner of Engage, uh, an awesome, awesome partner of ours that builds probably the premier presentation tool um, that you'll find out there in the world. And um, he's got some great perspective around that. And then Mr. Chuck Toki, who if you listen to this podcast, you know exactly who that guy is and you're going to get to hear from him as well. So we're really looking forward to diving in and uh, we're going to do that right after a quick word from the Contractor Radio sponsor. Welcome back to this week's episode of Contractor Radio where we are talking about the data. I am gonna bring in our guests this week, Mr. Chuck Toki and Mr. Dean Curtis. How are you guys doing today? Doing well. Awesome, thanks for having us. Awesome, awesome. So um, Chuck, many of our listeners know who you are, but Dean, not many of them know who you are. Uh, would you mind maybe giving us a little bit of background to kind of where you came from, what you're doing now, uh, and maybe you could even just give us a quick rundown on Engage for those that maybe haven't heard of it yet. Absolutely. Well, first and foremost, thanks so much for having me on the podcast today, Nathan. It's uh, a pleasure to be here and sit alongside you and Chuck and, and have this conversation about data in the market. Um, as you mentioned, I'm the CEO of Engage. Um, at Engage, we believe it's just plain wrong that it's so hard to create an amazing presentation, share it with <laughs> the people who need it, and then measure whether it's actually doing anything for your business. Uh, so we, as you mentioned, we make interactive presentation software. Uh, lots of folks in the contractor um, 
world use it uh, for in-home sales presentations, appointment confirmations, and lots of different uh, content that they're sharing with their uh, sales team as well as their customers. Um, personally, I've had the great fortune of being in the technology industry for more than 25 years. I started my life as a classroom teacher and quickly realized that mm. my calling was actually in uh, in technology. Um, and I've worked for some, some great companies, Oracle, Palm, Apple, um, and I've been here at Engage for uh, the past five years. So uh, my real passion is helping businesses find a way to leverage technology and then using that technology to help them drive efficiencies, improve productivity. And then I think our topic today of data is really uh, helpful in helping drive business forward. Very cool. Thank you. Thank you for that rundown very much so. Um, Chuck is our resident uh, bourbon and smoking expert. I probably should say that uh, Jim Jim would get all pissed off at me about the smoking uh, meat smoking expert part of that. So sorry, Jim. So um, so the first thing, this first question may seem kind of academic, and that's okay. We don't have to spend a bunch of time on it, but. Um, just I'm one of those people who likes to set some definitions. So when people hear us use a particular word throughout the rest of the, our time together, they kind of know what we're talking about. Uh, uh, why? First of all, how would you define data and why is it important? You want to go first, Chuck? Yeah, I'll jump in. When you look at data, there are so many different types of data. When we look at data, sometimes when like when I'm talking about data with a company, I'm looking at all the the leads that come in, all the names, address, and phone numbers, and they look at it like, oh, this is so worthless because we didn't get a chance to to uh, get them on our schedule. And I'm like, this is these this is a real person that has a house and that has a roof, siding, windows, whatever. So it's data that you can continue to mine through as long as it's a, within a certain period of time and and uh, you don't get caught by the, the telephone companies or whatever. But, um, you know, that is one of the biggest pieces of data that I look at. Uh, then you're looking at data such as the data that happens uh, inside your KPIs. And most people, and I don't want to get too far ahead, but most people look at their KPIs and they want to run their business by their KPIs, which they should mm. in many cases, but we can't take the emotional piece out of it either. Mm. Yeah, I mean, for us, we think of, and I'll keep it in the context of what we do, right? So um, I think a lot of people, when they deliver content to their sales team, they have no idea any data behind it. All they know is I created it on this date and I put it on this server and I think somebody yeah. might have downloaded it, right? <laughs> so for us, it's, it's really about are people delivering presentations? How long are they spending? What are they doing in those presentations? And then linking that to other pieces of data to make good decisions, right? So if I had to define data, it's the core, it's the um, it's the raw material on which we make decisions, right? Mm. And data is only that. It's only data, right? It's it's really just the raw material. It's like it's information, right? So if you're going to define it, it's just information. So if, if you're on a sales call and you're asking a prospect information about their experiences or about their home or where they live, their answers to you are data. Mm -hmm. They're giving you data and you're, if you're a good salesperson, you're going to be using that information to make decisions later on down the road throughout that process. Um, you know, when, when you're, when you're figuring out what your year to date revenue is, how, you know, that's data, that's information. When you're figuring out what your average sale ticket is or, uh, how long it takes for you to produce a job. Those are little like just pieces of information that's essentially called data. And so the best way I think is just think of data as information. I mean, in, 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 interesting, like 
as human beings, we're taking data in constantly. Mm -hmm. Like right now I'm looking at you guys, I'm hearing you guys, that's data. And then this, this tool we're using is keeping track of all the little minutes and seconds and all these little ones and zeros flying around. It's all this, like literally we're surrounded by data. Um, and so this, this, um, this, uh, uh, concept of data, like based on that kind of definition, every business has data, right? Too sure. much of it, probably. <laughs> <laughs> right. More than they know what to do with. That's for sure. Right. Okay. So um, where do you find it? So um, I know I just said like data is this huge, giant, broad concept. Okay. But when we do say every company has data and, and somebody goes, okay, I've got data. Where is it? Like, so if you're a company thinking I'd like to gain something from that, like, where do they find their data? Yeah, this is a hot point for me. Cause I mean, you're, you, it should be found in your CRM. <laughs> and if the CRM is, uh, if it's customizable enough because every business is different. The CRM companies have a hard job because they put it out there and they know that everybody's going to complain about it because everybody wants it in different ways. But if they are able to put all the data in, the, in all the right places and the company knows how to separate that data so that it's not all jumbled together, that what you can do with that data is absolutely amazing. Mm. You know, I can find out exactly what's going on with every lead source. Not only that is I can find out what's uh, what salesman is good at what lead source at what uh, at uh, what time of the day. I mean, mm. so if they put the information or data where it's supposed to go inside those CRMs and they house all that data in the same CRM, because uh, I've seen many have, have several different CRMs and they feed off of each other. But if they put it on that in the uh, all the data in that CRM, they should be able to mine that data and be able to run the company uh, in such a way that it's it's streamlined. Yeah, Chuck, I agree. I mean, data is everywhere. <laughs> and, and unfortunately, that means it's on a sticky note on their desk and it's uh, <laughs> also in their notebook and it's on the napkin in their truck. Like it's, it's literally everywhere. And without a central place that everyone agrees should be the place where it goes. Hey, we need to make a, a soundbite of that. <laughs> yeah, there we go. Coaching moment. Hey, data is everywhere, including the sticky notes that are yes. on your desk or fell behind it. Exactly. I got it right, right here. And that's the problem. So what, what we try and preach to our, I mean, because remember, even though we're a software company, we're a sales team, just like everyone else, right? Mm -hmm. What are the good processes you have in order to make sure you're capturing all of that data in the right place so that when you're ready to make a decision, you have it all, right? Because it, it it can get unwieldy at times. And we, I just did an analysis of all of our software systems. Oh boy. I'm embarrassed to tell you how many we have. Like I won't even mention the number, but it's a lot. And if you, the more systems you have and the less streamlined you are in the processes to use those, your data is going to be everywhere. So data is everywhere. So how do you get the processes around it to make sure it's in the right place when you have to make a decision? Yeah. Uh, we have different data receptacles, Right. Mm -hmm. So QuickBooks is a source of data. Your CRM is a source of data. If you've got spreadsheets of some kind that you use for something that those tools don't use, that's a source of data. So when you're putting in a date or when you're putting in a quantity or when you're putting in a line item of some kind or when you're uh, 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 establishing a time frame or when you are taking in some information from a phone call that goes somewhere. And so that's somewhere that you guys put that stuff out there in the world, right? 
that's your that's where your data is at. So if you're going, I probably have this information. Where is it? Where do you put your information? I mean, some guys like have a notebook. There's a, what I, I used to I had a, I had a boss that I used to work with who was a little stubborn on on software, and he had what he called it his analog CRM. And it was just a moleskin notebook. <laughs> it was all it was, right? So God forbid something happened to him and, and the rest of the team needs to follow up and work with these clients because he's out of pocket or something. And it's all on a notebook and nobody knows where it is, right? Furthermore, we can't analyze it, you know? Like, so that your data is wherever it is that you put information. Yeah. Um, whether and it's, and the, the thing is, you wanna, you wanna reduce those islands of information? Yes. Right. Think of them as islands surrounded by water that no one can get to. Right. You want to create the bridges between them so that you have all of the data. Again, when you want to make those decisions, get rid of the islands of information. <laughs> make sure you have great places where everyone's agreeing on what goes where. Yeah. I'm working with an Amish company right now that they're not allowed to use phones. They can't use. Oh. I mean, it, so uh, I asked, I says, well, so where are all your files? And they take me to this thing called a banker's box. And they just open it up. And it was uh, at first I thought I was going to get overwhelmed and I was almost refreshing. You mm -hmm. know, it's like, so you know, right where your files are, you know, exactly what order they're in. You know, the, you know, exactly. And I asked, where's your where's your sales schedule? And he points up on the wall. And, yep. so, and I was like, wow, this is uh, it, was, it was something that, that blew me away. I, I haven't seen in so long. Yeah. Yeah. So, OK, so we've got these data receptacles. And Dean, you kind of started alluding to this concept a little bit in in um, in gathering. Like we want to try to probably reduce those data receptacles as much as we possibly can, have as few as we can. And I, if you're listening right now, I'm going to tell you right this second: there is no one single source solution for all of it. Not unless you're going to spend, and I mean literally, millions of dollars to build an enterprise level solution that's customized to your business you're never going to find a one-stop shop for all of that. So just take a deep breath and relax. You're probably going to use multiple different tools and components throughout your business. Okay. So, but that kind of leads to my next question or thing for us to try and flesh out a little bit. How do we then, if we have, I mean, even if you've got a company that's got two data receptacles or two data point uh, of places where they put information, how do we take the data we have and make it something that we can read? I mean, like the word aggregate, we, we, we take this information, put it into a place where we can go, okay, I know this thing's happening over here and I know this thing's happening over here. If I combine those, that gives me a better picture. How, how, how do we make our data something that we can read and process? It's, that's typically done in customizable reports, mm -hmm. uh, reports that can, uh, uh, it, if I was wanting to look at all of my sales reps and I want to see all the different data, I would have all the different rows. One row would be how much they sold. The next row would be how many appointments they had, uh, you know, all the way through to my close rate, my NSLI, everything would be in one long row. So I can see that rep and everything that is associated. So it would be, I guess you say most of it would be inside of a, a comparable type report. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think even, uh, maybe a precursor to that is what questions do you want to answer? Mm. <laughs> right. So a lot of times, you, you know, you jump to the solution of, Oh, I need, I need a report or I, I did this with my own leadership team. I'm like, guys, we need to, we need X, I don't, you know, whatever it is. And what I forgot was 
I really wasn't answer asking them the right question, right? Because we weren't, we didn't have the data because I didn't really know what question I wanted to be answered, right? So I went back a step, right, to the higher level of what question are we trying to trying to answer? To your point, Chuck, like who is who is leading us in NSLI? Well, okay, now I know I needed to go to this system and maybe I have to combine it with this other system so that I can get that level of data to be integrated in one place so I can actually answer that question and make that decision based on the data. So I think it's, I think, yes, there's tactical things, but there's also strategic things of, oh my gosh, what question do I really need to answer? And most importantly, how does it help me make a good business decision moving forward? Mm, yeah. Well, that's the best, that's the best answer I think I've ever heard is what answer do you, are you looking for? Mm -hmm. I, yeah, I've worked for a number of software companies actually in, in my in my own life, and um, for those of you that that use software and that software company has support, one of the best things you can get in the habit of doing is when you call the support company at your software because you want to know if the software can do a thing. Can my software do this or can it do that? Instead of really asking them for, because the thing is you'll end up to the, in this, this language barrier is what happens. The, so, the, the, the support people are thinking about their software in terms of what it can and can't do. And you've got this random outside concept and you're not totally sure how to communicate it. So instead what you say is, can it do X? Whereas a really powerful way and a much more efficient way to ask like a tech support person would be, I need to know X. Mm -hmm. how can I get this product to tell me X, right? I mean, I'm sure like it engaged, you guys run into that all the time. I know that engage has some internal data components. Um, and, and what, if somebody was using, I mean, engage software, other types of software, when somebody calls out and they're like, Hey, I need to know some information. How do you guys deal with those kinds of questions? Yeah. I mean, I'll go all the way back to our product development. Like literally the call I was on right before I jumped on, this was our roadmap call. And we were going through some, what we call user stories in order to find some new product features that we're working on. And we don't think about building things in terms of features. We think about problems that we're solving for, for a customer. Right. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of that, that same thing of what problem are we trying to solve? Not what feature am I trying to build? Right. If you think about, I'll, I'll take a, a bit of a diversion, but back to my time at Apple, we were competing against BlackBerry and BlackBerry had a feature called software encryption. So all of your data at rest was encrypted, but the problem was it was encrypted with your passcode. So it was done when you entered in your passcode, it was part of the encryption key to decrypt the software so that it, and it would all happen in software. And everyone that we were selling into the enterprise, they're like, you have to have this. BlackBerry has it. We're like, okay. Well, when Apple came out with it, they did an encryption scheme in hardware, which was infinitely faster, right? So you didn't have to sit there and wait for your whole device to decrypt. It would do it on the fly. So it was just a, a piece of technology that answering the question of what do we want, the what problem are we trying to solve, but thinking about it in a completely different way, not just saying we need to do what the competition does or we need to do what this other company does. We, you know, at Apple, we solve it in a very different way. And I think that that applies here as well. Like when you're looking at the data, what problem are you trying to solve? Not, am I just trying to do what everybody else does? Yes. Yeah. I think that's a, that's a really good call out is really wanting to know what that is, right? Uh, the efficacy of our sales team or the speed with which we're doing production or, um, you know, if you're trying to find inefficiencies, you're looking for inefficiencies and in how your company does things. Um, 
where do you start? I mean, I think oftentimes we will will attack the thing that makes the most noise, right? The squeaky wheel gets the grease. But that squeaky wheel, I found more often than not, is a symptom of something that, that isn't hardly making any noise at all. And so, you know, if we want to improve something, we've got to be able to get a baseline of, of, of understanding of what it's doing now and then and then look at the, the trend and then figure out those markers along that along that trend. And that data is really part of what what tells us that. So some questions for you. Right. Um, Dean, I'll just ask you, I, I know and I've talked to your team and they're like, Dean is a data hound. Uh, he loves data. He's always asking for data. And sometimes he wants it faster than I can get it to him. But um, when it comes to reading data, how, how do you read your data? And and then what is it telling you when you get it? I mean, and you can be specific I and mean, we don't have to be too general. I mean, some of these, some folks will probably relate to it and some of it because it's software may not make as much sense, but mm -hmm. examples are really helpful. Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll give you a real example in terms of our product, right? So if let's say you're using Engage or you're using presentation software and you want to say, hey, is there a correlation between my close rate and the delivery of an in-home sales presentation, hmm. right? I mean, you spend tons of time training on it. You spend tons of resources building it, refining it. There's a link between sales and marketing, understanding, you know, is it really matching the right, um, you know, the, the right message that we want to send? Does it have all the products? Are the products up to date? Like all of that, you spend tons of time in your business making that. So the question is, is it helping? <laughs> like, a real question. Is it helping? There's no one metric that says, is it helping? However, mm -hmm. if I can bring a few pieces of data together to say, hey, you know what? Nathan is presenting and the average time that he presents is 64 minutes. And the average time that Chuck presents is 72 minutes. And then we go a level deeper and we say, well, you know what, Chuck, where's that eight minutes being spent? Oh, it's actually being spent in section two of the presentation. By the way, Chuck's close rate, when I look in the CRM, is 10 points higher than Nathan. Sorry, oh, I had to use an example. Come right? on. But how can I correlate that data, right? Independently, it's like Chuck's doing 72, Nathan's doing 64, whatever. But when I can now get deeper and more granular, to, I can actually maybe answer some of those questions to say, or maybe you guys are both not doing well with financing. And you look at the data and you're like, oh my gosh, neither of these guys are ever getting to the financing slides. Mm. Like, come on, fellas, what are you doing, right? And it's not a big brother thing. It's more of a, hey, we know that when Sam got to financing, Sam is actually closing at seven points higher. And by the way, he's getting four, you know, X number of basis points for us from the financing company as well. So his average deal size is up, but also he's closing faster and we're getting mm. some residual from the financing. Like, all of that can be brought together, not because you have a single piece of data, but because you can start stitching them together to, again, answer those questions that you're really interested in answering. I'm going to show this to my kids because it's like when you go to school and you got that those word problems and you sit there like, I'm never going to use this. Like, oh, yes, you will. <laughs> you, know, you know, it's funny, Chuck. When I was a teacher, I was a math teacher. <laughs> and my students, my sixth grade students would, would all ask me like, when am I ever going to use this? And my answer was always never. <laughs> but I said, the skill you're developing is the ability to solve problems. And if you're, if you're able to solve problems, you're, you're going to be great in any profession, right? And I think 
everybody out there. That's what you're doing every day is solving problems, right? Uh-huh. So the more you can do that, the better you're going to be. So Chuck, you want to you want to put a little bit of kind of your your angler perspective on this, how you read the data and what it tells you. Yeah. So the the easy answer is if you take all the data and you line it up, whether it be uh, per sales rep, per lead source, or for the presentation itself, it all tells a story. When I'm looking at a sales rep, and uh, I just got done this morning with a, a client when we were going through their data, and I says, look, you got to understand that uh, that John, he doesn't truly buy into the product because he, he's always selling the good system, none of the better and the best systems, but mm. he also all of his, uh, his profitability is low. So he, he thinks that the price is too high and he doesn't believe in the product. You know, it's, and so when we're going through this, we can help them understand. Now we have, you know, we have Billy. Uh, these are not real names, by the way, but you have Billy that he's always selling the best and his profitability is high and his close rate's low. He's padding his pockets. You know, he's going for the home run every single time. So we now know how to manage our sales teams, but we also know how to manage our lead sources and how and what needs to happen with, you know, if we're going to use it with engage, um, we know what what pages they like, what pages they don't doesn't mean that we're going to get rid of those pages. But I would like to know why we're only spending, you know, two seconds on, on you know, the danger signal page, you know, so those types of things we want to know why. Well, and the, the one thing, too, that occurs to me is that it's that the the information you're getting isn't always just static. So, for example, like when you said, Dean, you're like, well, you know, Nathan may be closing at at 64% and Chuck's closing it at 74%. What's going on there, right? Well, what if one of those two guys has an average higher ticket? So what if maybe maybe this guy over here is closing at a lower rate, but for some reason, he's 5% higher when he does close than everybody else. So then you've got these two different angles from which to start asking additional questions like, okay, well, how do we get this? How do we get this guy with a higher ticket up to a higher percentage rate? How do we get the guy with a higher percentage rate up to a higher ticket? Mm-hmm. And so ju- it's not always necessarily a one or a zero. There's numerous other things that you could be looking for, or you know how much time somebody spends in the home. Like right? we really have a hard time. Like we've got this guy over here. He closes at ninety percent, but gosh, he can only run two appointments a day because he's there so long. Right. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then, and then all of a sudden, do we have a customer service? Like, are do his do his clients not like him very much because he's there for three hours and won't leave until they say yes? So then you've got this whole other data set over here to start considering how there's so much that goes into it. Um, so how the the next question I have has a couple of components to it. Um, how do we make decisions by the numbers? Um, like what filters should be, we be using as we look at our data or maybe, maybe I shouldn't say what they are cause they're probably, they probably vary. Um, and then what, so what are some filters that we should use mentally to look at our data with? And then, um, what influences those filters? And you guys, I, mean, I think one thing data should inform the questions you ask. Yeah. Right. So the, the whole point of it's funny when we when people look at our our solution they're like oh my gosh the people are going to think it's big brother while they're presenting not at all it just gives you so much context into what's happening and allows you to ask some really good questions hey i notice whatever it is 
help me understand. I'm not in the home with you. I'm not on those sales calls, nor do I need to be anymore, by the way, because <laughs> I can see what's happening. You know, I want to understand, help me understand. You're doing this really, you're, you're doing this really, really well. Help share with the rest of the team why, mm-hmm. right? So I think it's the filter is what questions you ask and how you can drive better conversations because of having access to information that you might not have had previously. I like how Sebastian talks about our co-pilot program in the form of Moneyball. And so if you watch that, uh, that movie, it's all about data. Everything they do is about data and they win a ball game based on data, not skill, but data. And he says it's all based on consistency because I can bet on consistency. So that's the same thing with us is that we're looking for consistency, but also profitable consistency of, you know, if, uh, if it, if we're more profitable and the person that is off highest product and, and not doing any discounting, then fine, let's, let's take a look at that. But most importantly, you know, where's the profit and where's the consistency lie? Mm. I was also thinking too, a little bit like uh, we have this, um, this concept of like the way our economy moves and, and operates. And so as a business owner, I think sometimes you're looking at financial reports, you're looking at your, uh, your budgets, your, you know, budget to actual, you're looking at your staffing needs, you're looking at your expenses, you're looking at your overall strategy. And sometimes your your strategy or what it is you're trying to accomplish is going to have an impact on how you read the data. Like sometimes people go in and they look at their finances because the question they're trying to answer is, can I afford to hire a marketing person? Right. And then some people go into their finances going, how much money am I making? Two different questions to ask. And they're probably going to look at very similar data mm-hmm. for that. Um, but you should be, I think you should be aware of of the filter you're using as you look at your data because it will impact the decision you make the numbers are still the same but you're looking for something and if you find it yay or you find it boo <laughs> right and and so i think that's a that's an important thing to keep in mind because i tell you what you know us we human beings are pretty good at finding things that confirm what we already believe and we so, <laughs> yeah, we're already we're already looking for it. Like, oh, I found a zero in this place, and I was expecting a zero there. Well, yeah, but is that the only factor that's important there? So, I think that sometimes we can approach data with a little bit of our own bias or our own fear or our own expectation. Maybe we have a strategy in mind, and we're trying to see if the data supports our ability to initiate or continue with that strategy. Is there any thoughts on that? I mean, confirmation bias is definitely real. So you have to be careful when you are looking at your data to be like, wait, <laughs> let me put it all on the side. Let me, let me really, let me ask the question I'm really looking for and go in with eyes wide open to not mm. have that confirmation bias for sure. Yeah. yeah. This sales guy is terrible. Look at that. He missed one deal. We should fire him. <laughs> uh, you, I, I'm sure we've all seen this. It always is. It's always, it's always, it's like it happened once. <laughs> we, had a, we had a situation just the other day so I, I won't give the specifics of it someone's like i can't believe this is always happening i was like okay well how many times i just asked a simple question how many times it happened in the last week once how many times it happened ever once but i think it might be a trend <laughs> that's not a trend you need two points to make a line right? that's right oh man that that is tough because your emotions will betray you 
Your emotions will betray you, especially on the negative things. And I've seen this in contract. Man, every time this crew does this kind of roof or this kind of siding project or these windows, we have a problem. And it's like, maybe it's happened three times in the last, like maybe month or two months, but you've had that crew for three years. So before we go firing anybody, maybe we should see if this, is this really a thing? Or, or like you said, Dean, how often does this happen? Mm-hmm. Not very. I've seen it happen a couple times recently, might warrant a conversation. But be careful with that because, yeah, you, data will, if you, as long as you can keep your eyes open, it will, it will squash how you feel about a particular thing. Yeah, recency I'm, I'm, bias and confirmation bias, two very important things to just be cognizant of. Oh, yeah. And I've had, believe me, I had it happen to me. I'm like, if I just feel like this thing's happening all the time. And then we pull the numbers and I'm like, oh, I'm like, all right, well. I guess I need to check myself a little, right? You're hurt really bad. I <laughs> have <laughs> just my feelings are just so That's right. So, um, all right, we're going to we're going to jump into something uh, uh we're going to get a little more human here in a second. Um and talk a little bit about how some of this matters, what leaders may be looking for. And if you're a manager or you're part of a leadership team, some of the interworkings and bring the humanity component, which we kind of were leading into with confirmation bias potential uh, there. But we're gonna do that uh, right after a quick word from another one of our sponsors. Hey everybody, welcome back to Contractor Radio. Thanks for taking a few seconds to listen to our sponsors. We love those folks. Give them a little love, pay attention, uh, check out their websites. And if you're out and about and you are in an event or something, stop by their booths. Tell them Contractor Coach Pro sent you. As a matter of fact, if you ever talk to any of our sponsors, make sure you tell them Contractor Coach Pro sent you because most of them take very good care of the of the Contractor Coach Pro and the Contractor Radio folks. And I know Engage is one of those people too. So <laughs> uh, make sure to mention us when you uh, reach out to engage to radically and dramatically improve your presentation process in the home. Um, also, uh, man, Engage does, we, we did a, just as a side, we did kind of a little bit of a training thing with Engage. All right, sorry, shameless plug. And um, we learned that Engage not only has a series of automations that can be built into a process. Um, but it can it can uh, do it has integrations and communications with other people outside of that. Engage could 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 function not just as a presentation tool. It could also become part of your training program. It could technically become part of your uh, actual production as well. And so my mind started. I, if you guys are wondering how does that happen, you got to contact Engage because we don't have time to get into that now. But uh, after I got a chance to get a little deeper into it, I was like, holy cow, this actually this twisted my mind up pretty good on what I could do if I still had a contracting company uh, with Engage. So anyway, sorry, second commercial. Sorry about that, everybody. But <laughs> So the next thing I wanted to kind of get into is, um, uh, so Dean, being your CEO over at Engage, okay, you, and I, and I know this because I talk to your people, you ask them for information. You ask them for data. You ask, and I'm also guessing that, when it comes to them making decisions as leaders and managers in your business, you're probably asking them what data supported the decision that they made. Okay. Yep. So as a leader, as a C, as a CEO, uh, as an owner, um, what are you guys looking for from your people um, that you would want to see data on, or how does that apply as a leader when you've got a team below you? 
Yeah, I mean, a real world scenario that happened recently, right? We had um, some folks in our sales team who were doing outbound calling. And we were doing an evaluation of, is this actually, well, one of our, one of our core values as a company is what we call, is, is, is the value of value, right? And it's not like, do you have values? Like if you don't, you're not going to survive here. <laughs> so it's, do you value and do you, do you look for ROI in every resource spent, right? So we do that consistently. I mentioned earlier, we just look at all of our software systems. I cut out 13 software systems. Because we weren't using them. And it wasn't a huge amount of money, but it was, you know, 50 bucks a month here, 50 bucks a month there. It all adds up in any business, right? So we have, we always look at the ROI of every resource spent. And we were doing that with our outbound calling team. And we were looking at, are we really getting a return on investment from there? And I said, how would we know? <laughs> right? It's a real simple question that I ask a lot. How do you know? And so we looked at a lot of the different metrics. We looked at conversion metrics from calls to connects, from connects to demos, and then the demo sit rate based on those things. So I'm very, yes, my team knows that I ask for a lot of data. And it's really not as a anything other than a check and balance because our gut can tell us one thing, mm -hmm. but the data can help us validate and verify that. So if we can't answer the question of how do you know with something material, then we have to go find that information out. So Chuck, I know you've kind of, you, you've also been on both sides of this fence and are currently on both sides of this fence and coach people who are on both sides of this fence. So um, what should be the mindset or approach uh, of a manager when it comes to data reporting? What should they know? Like if you're a sales manager, production manager, um, you're, you know, you have somebody that you're reporting to and that person's probably going to want some validation or verification. Um, and especially like if somebody you're setting your sales goals for next year, or you're, you're trying to establish the amount of volume that your, your fulfillment team can manage. What are some things that people in those positions should have in mind, especially in light of kind of what Dean just said? Well, first we all need dashboards. Um, that's mm. what I like about a lot of the really good CRMs is that they have great dashboards. When you open your computer and there's all the data that you need from the prior day, whether it's uh, here's your close rate for the week, here's your close rate for uh, the month and, and for year to date, um, going into, you know, what's my backlog, you know, so that I know exactly if I'm going to go into a meeting with the production department, I know what my backlog is. If I'm going in with the admin. I know what my AR uh, backlog is. You know, so having that data right there in, in front of you as a dashboard is uh, is key. Then you have your drill down, you know, so you if, if anybody has asked for a, a reporting, uh, you should have the, the highest level. And we always say the CEO level on top. And uh, I used to have this CEO at uh, Able. He would sit in the meetings for probably the first 20 minutes. That's all you could stand. And so we knew that we had to have very high level data for him. And then once he left, we could do the drill downs to make sure that, you know, the next meeting uh, is better. But uh, again, it's uh, you start with your CEO level data and you work your way into where the drill downs are. You know, what, why is the, the AR where it's at? Uh, is it all in commercial? How much AR do we have in commercial? How much do we have in, in residential? How much do we have in service? Uh, you know, so you have, uh, different reporting based on who you're talking to. I hope that's what you're you're looking for. Yeah, that was good. Uh, Dean, you have any 
thing to add in that, I mean, especially that concept of like what information a CEO wants and whether or not they they do want to see all the little nitty gritty or they're just, they look at the overall numbers and go, okay, like I'm, I'm good with that or what have you. I think, I think what's important is not being married to what you're doing. Meaning maybe you have a certain set of metrics that makes sense for this quarter, but then it's okay to say, is this really helping us to make good business decisions? Should we be considering something else, right? It's the no sacred cows sort of thing. Oh, well, we've always done it this way. Mm. <laughs> okay, but what so, if we could grow 10% faster if we did it another way? And are there other metrics that are more meaningful, even just his, you know cyclical metrics? Like maybe because like Q3 for us is a slower quarter because a lot of contractors are out there installing stuff, right? They're not selling maybe as much now they're out installing. So, okay, what are some other metrics we need to look at in Q3 that might not be as relevant in Q4 or Q2, right? So I think also just being aware of the cyclical nature of your business, um, not holding on to things that might not be providing value to you anymore and being open to your leadership team coming and saying, you know what, I've noticed this trend. Can we add this to the dashboard? Great. And let's watch it for a little while. Maybe it's not relevant, but maybe it is. So being open to those kinds of changes, I think is also really important. Yeah. Yeah. Don't take that personally. No, gosh, no. And I mean, it's hard not to sometimes, you know, if you're in the organization and you were tasked with putting together all this information, all this data, and you built this spreadsheet, you built this dashboard, you can go all this kind of stuff. And then somebody comes along and goes, you know what, let's try doing it this way. And you're like, I, but I just, I've, I built, I've been working on this thing for a year, you know? So, <laughs> so like, like be sure as a leader, like, especially if somebody has got a bunch of time that at least make sure you show some appreciation. Cause a lot of people put a lot of work into putting information together and getting that thing out there. And, uh, and, and, and so, you know, you want to make sure that, that they didn't spend all that time for nothing. Right. So um, that, that one's for free. We um, just added a couple of metrics to our product reporting dashboard as a result of a conversation we had in our leadership team meeting of what is what's happening with this? I don't know. Well, do we do we have a metric that we can start tracking to see it? Yeah. OK, let's add that and let's take a look at it over the next six weeks and see what we see. Right. That's right. And it may disappear in six weeks. We're like, nope, it wasn't valuable. Great. We'll remove it. Yeah, this is more of a distraction than anything yeah, else. Right? Totally. Um. Okay, so I know that for some people, especially people who are very culture obsessed, they're very concerned about the culture of their company. They're concerned about putting people first. They're concerned about uh, their their personality and just the humanity that's involved there. And I mean, I'm not going to lie. The larger, more corporate you get, the more data is proliferated, and then a data point seen somewhere near the top of the leadership chain, there's a human being behind that somewhere near the bottom. Right. And so we, there, there's, there's a fear and I think it's a valid fear where somebody just looks at data and then starts making decisions about human, about people's lives based on ones and zeros. And so if a data, if, if data, if a company becomes data obsessed and running their company by the numbers, uh, can that ruin their culture? It can, it can, if it's not deciphered correctly. I mean, numbers are cold. <laughs> They're very cold. And uh, you could look at a number and immediately say, this person needs to be fired. Uh, and when you look at it, it's like, well, I think that we can change their attitude. I think that we can train them. I think that we can, uh, whatever, you know, 
before we make the decision based on the number that is is beside their name. So, I mean, you got to look at it and and run the company by the numbers, but how you decipher and uh, disseminate that information to your team has to be, uh, I'm, I'm very big on, on, you know, throwing the right cross or hitting them right between the eyes, but it does need to, to come to the team in such a way that it's not demotivating. Yeah. I mean, we, we use three main big metrics that our company marches to and those, those numbers drive literally if you're doing something that's not driving those three numbers we question what you're doing right so we always try and tie it back so i think it can be used as a real motivator too you know one is a revenue goal one is a customer satisfaction goal one is a growth goal it's like if we're not getting to that customer satisfaction towards that growth towards those revenue targets that's so it can be i think it'd be greatly motivating as well because it's very simple when you wake up, we say, when you wake up and you come to work every day, is what you're doing today driving one of those three things? Mm. And if it's not, pause, ask yourself why you're doing it, or go get some direction from someone who can help you redirect so that we make sure we're hitting those three, right? Now, if you only build your culture around those three things, probably not a great way to live, right? Yeah. Because you want to give, like we give our engineers ten, what we call 10% time. And they have 10% of their time where they can work on things that really are additive that may not tie to those top three things, they usually do, but might drive some innovation, right? So mm. you have to be flexible in terms oh, yeah. of the numbers and you have to build things in buffers in so that you can have the humanity in it so that you can also innovate, right? Because the innovation side could spur something that you never even planned on right? But there are, at the same time, the other side of that coin is sometimes you have to be clinical in your decision-making. I right? like those guidelines in there too. And I thought that that 10% time is super cool because very cool. It may, you know, they may be working on something at the moment and it's necessary and it's needed, but they may be just like, man, I, I, this is like, especially like software folks, they, there's things they really, really love doing. And then there's things they know they got to do and they just don't really like doing it. And I think that's a super cool thing. They've got this opportunity to go, okay, I've been working on this thing for hours at this point. I'm going to take a break from it, work on this really fun thing over here that I'm interested in and passionate about. Mm -hmm. And it gives them a chance to kind of like break. That's really cool. I love that. Yep. Um, it's one of the just some pretty good innovations in our product too, I have to admit. So uh -huh. we just did a rebranding of our whole admin console. And that was one of our engineers was just like, I think I can try this thing. And then literally within seven days after he tried it, our whole administrative interface was reskinned re and rethought and redone in a very, very um, responsive, cool way. And customers have had a great response to it. So yeah, you have to be careful to just latch onto numbers too much, <laughs> right? You have to give some creativity that drives great culture. Right. Um, <coughs> excuse me, Chuck, did you have something to say? No, one thing I do want to throw in there, and it goes back to sales. And when we're looking at uh, the numbers and the culture and helping the uh, the team understand the numbers, because remember that that with sales reps, you have to help them understand what what it means to them. And so, like NSLI, just as something as as simple as your net sale per lead issued, your net sale per lead issued, uh, your revenue per per appointment. So if you take somebody that earns 10% and you tell them that, hey, if, you're, if your NSLI is $5,000, just understand that every time you go to your car door, you open your car door, that's $500 you just made. 
And, you know, you're not going to have anybody in the room. Everybody's running to their cars. But again, you're helping them to understand the data and what and what in such a way that benefits them. That's a that's a that is an absolutely brilliant call out. Um, thank you, Chuck, for that, because I actually that when I kind of slipped past me too. Um, the idea that that, yes, you can have KPIs and yes, you can have numbers, but those things mean something to you as well. Uh, you mentioned it earlier, Dean. I don't want to be just big brother over here. Like I want to know where you where you're doing well. I want to know where you're doing well. I also mm-hmm. want to know where you need help because if I know where you need help, then you're not going to hear me. You know, uh, uh, like a good example is sales meetings. Right? We get into a sales meeting and the sales leader goes, "Hey, what is everybody having a problem with?" And then and then four or five different issues is thrown out there, and we randomly pick one that may, maybe only one or two people are having a problem with. But these people over here aren't having a problem with that. So we're about to waste two hours of a large group of our team's time over these two things. But these two people do need it. Mm-hmm. And so we want to help you improve, like instantly. You know, you, you don't want to go to training. Great. I'm going to show you some data. This guy over here, he works less than you and he makes more money. Would you like to work less and make more money? Uh, yeah, I think so. Especially, I don't know a sales <laughs> rep that isn't going to say that. Right. So, well, here's the data. If you could improve your closing percentage or your NSLI or whatever by this, these little data points, guess what? You don't, you have to run half the number of appointments that you do right now. Would you like that? Oh, yes, I would. Right. And if you ran the same number, think of how much you'd make it at a higher conversion rate. Correct. Right. Yeah. So I, that's a great call out, Chuck, is that these, this data is designed to help you improve your life. This isn't just about this cold hearted machine that we have pumping through numbers. Um, and then, you know, the one thing that I was actually in a meeting not long ago, going over some some cold, hard numbers, looking at different things and, 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 and looking at the expenses of these different categories and these different things and the profitability and going what works, what doesn't. But I tell you this much, and I kind of put this this note, this thought came to my head is like data tends to tell you what happened, but not necessarily why. So you could look at two things and say, well, this thing's profitable and this thing isn't. But if those things are related then you may you you go well this thing clearly isn't profitable let's get rid of it well hold on a second your sales trainer may not be a profitable line item but these guys over here who are killing it were trained by that person so does that show up as a profitable line item in its own vacuum no it does not it may not at all but as it relates to these other things you might be shooting yourself right in the foot to make a decision like that. So like Chuck said, it tells a story um, and, and it doesn't always have all the footnotes in it. And so it does, it is helpful to kind of know some of the behind the scenes and be involved with your, because your people do have the footnotes. Yeah, it definitely drives the conversations you want to have and informs the questions you want to, you want to ask. Yeah. And then the rest is dialogue, right? Yeah. That's man. So I know we're kind of coming up towards the end of our time here. And uh, Dean, I got a couple of pop questions for you. So these Uh-oh. are off topic, but we like to do this with everybody that uh, that graces us with their presence on our podcast. So first question. Okay. Now, are you, are you married and have kids? Anything? Yes. Yeah, Happily okay. married. 26 years, four okay. children. Congratulations. Four Thank children. You. All right. So uh, we know 
that getting married and having your kids is your greatest achievement. We already know that. So outside of that, that thing, what would you say is your greatest achievement? Wow. Um, yeah, he wasn't prepared for it. That's why I don't no, I'm not, you know, it's, I should have, I should have, I, I always, I always try and watch several episodes. I watched a lot of the beginning of some episodes of your, of before coming on. I didn't, I should have waited to the end. <laughs> um, I think one of my greatest accomplishments is, so I think I mentioned earlier, I used to be a classroom teacher, right? And, and one of the things about being a teacher is, you know, I've always had this ability to, to just understand and learn quickly. And, and mm. I think all of what I've done in my career through technology sales and now being a leader of a company, it's all about um, learning quickly and solving problems, right? So I think one of my greatest achievements is just, is just continuing that. Right. And never giving, never kind of settling to be okay. I've always just had this desire to continue learning and continue excelling and continue taking what I've learned from something else and applying it to the next thing that I do. You know, I was, I was joke, this isn't going to be my last job, but it's preparing me for my next one. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I love the fact that um, I still have that beginner's mentality of really just trying to, to learn every day. Um, and I think that's a great achievement and it's not really an achievement. It's just like setting myself up for whatever's next. Right. Um, but it's, uh, it's something that I've, I, I thrive on is I, I read a lot and I, I try and consistently learn. And I hope that when I sit down and, you know, Chuck, like when we're at a conference and we're just talking, I'm always trying to learn something from somebody else. And I think that's an achievement. I don't know if you'd call that an achievement, but it's something that I always try, try to right. try and do. Mm-hmm. I can dig it. I can dig it. Judges say good answer. next next pop question what is the best advice you've ever received from a mentor uh so this is a very easy question for me to answer we my my greatest boss mentor ever was a guy named john brandon uh he was our svp of sales at at apple and he had 10 rules He, he actually then he had a second 10 and i i have them all but the number one thing is um that i remember from him is everyone sweeps the floor and no matter where you elevate to in a company, no matter who you are, whether the head coach, the assistant coach, the water boy, if you're whoever you are, everyone is is equal on the team. Mm-hmm. And I think that that is uh, some of the best advice I've ever gotten. Um, and it makes I think it makes your team see you not necessarily because I mean, I'm in a leadership position. Right. But they know that whatever it takes, I'm going to do that. Right. So that concept of everyone sweeps the floor is critically important. Did he actually make people sweep the floor? No, he, he tells it. His story was um, he worked for Adobe and John Warnock, who was one of the founders of Adobe. He tells a story about John being under the projector on the floor, like plugging things in and how he that's where he learned that concept around everyone sweeping the floor, seeing the, you know, the CEO of Adobe under the you know, fixing the projector so that they could have the sales meeting or something. I love that. That's yeah. super cool. I dig it. Okay. Uh, all right. <clears throat> so we only get so much time on this planet, right? And unfortunately, we're not entirely sure how much that is. So when it's all said and done, uh, what what are you hoping to be remembered for? Or what would you like for your legacy to be? I would hope that the people who I've met that I've challenged them to be better than they were than when they met me, right? Mm. That through our interactions that they see that 
um, there's always more that you can strive to, to learn and there's more that you can strive to be and that I would have done my job to challenge them to move maybe beyond their comfort zone to say, you know what? I met Dean and he challenged me to do X, Y, or Z. And even if it wasn't a direct challenge, it was just how I live my life or how I run a company or how I lead a team or how I give a talk or whatever, that they are like, hmm, maybe there's something more that I can do. Um, and I would have influenced them in some way. And I don't ever need to know about that. But to if, if that is something that, that I did, I'd, I'd feel amazing about that. And that's a good, that's a, that's a great answer. You know, you could also like, Anybody you have a conversation with, you could just like give them five bucks and then it doesn't matter from there on out. They'd be like, what do you think of Dean's? Like, well, I got $5 I didn't have before. <laughs> got to carry around a lot of fives around. Me. That's right. <laughs> Next time Sorry, I see you, Chuck, if I don't give you five bucks, I've failed. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, we're going to be right back. We're going to break for just one more uh, quick word from our sponsors and then we're going to wrap this up with Dean. So uh, stay tuned. We'll be right back. Man, nice work, guys. I think this this has been really cool. I've enjoyed this. This has been much. very cool. Yeah. So, all right, Braden. <clears throat> Welcome back to this episode of Contractor Radio. Uh, thank you guys so much for joining us um, and, uh, and taking time to listen to this, paying attention to our sponsors. We hope that this has been helpful for you. I really hope that – I guarantee that not all of it was probably pure gold for you, but we really hope you pulled at least one or two solid things away from that, even if it just means carrying around a stack of $5 bills. So um, I just want to say a big thank you, uh, Dean, for you being here. I know you're a busy man. You got all kinds of stuff going on, but you took your time out of your day to talk with us and to our listeners about their data, how important it is. And so thank you so much for being here. Um, Chuck, also uh, to you for taking some time out of your day to, to have a little different angle and a little different perspective on this conversation. So guys, I wanna wrap this up. Uh, what would be one gold nugget you'd throw out there to these folks that are listening before we uh, before we close her out? I guess my, my gold nugget would just be that uh, go back through your reports, make sure that they actually mean something that mm. it's not just a, we even have uh, just a big long list of reports and I look at two of them, you know, it's just <laughs> everybody keeps putting more and more and it just gets to be a big jumbled mess. Uh, so go back through, figure out what you, uh, what you need, what you don't need so that uh, you're not confused or, um, you know, you're just not looking through a, a big pile of, of rat's nest. Mm, that's a that's a good one. That's a good one. How about you, Dean? Yeah, I'll I'll steal from uh, John Brandon's top ten again, and and hit, this one is um, fix the roof while the sun is shining. And you know, I think a lot of contractors right now have a, a nice backlog and a healthy pipeline of business, and I think a lot of times that can mask issues in other areas of your mm. business, whatever it is, data especially, right? So what are those things that when things are good now, that if you just took a little bit of time each day to examine the processes, the systems that you have, that while things are really good, when they turn south, potentially, hopefully it doesn't for anyone, but maybe there's some efficiencies and some things that you can improve while things are going really, really well, whether that's spend or whatever it is, there's, I'm sure there's tons of things in your business that you can look at you know, fix that roof while the sun's shining. That is, that is perfect. Perfect way to wrap up. Thank you, gentlemen. And uh, thank you for joining us for Contractor Radio. We'll see you on our next episode. 
Painted podcasts are produced by the Painting Contractors Association and are made possible by members and industry partners. To find out more about upcoming education opportunities or for more information about joining PCA, visit PCAPainted.org.